0: Hello, and welcome to this Focus episode of How We're Wired. My name is Eva Higginbotham. I have a PhD in neuroscience, and I'm the producer of this series for the Bertarelli Foundation. These Focus episodes are a chance for us to dig into more fascinating stories of our brains, how they work, and how scientists are studying them. In episode 10, we looked at the neuroscience of pain. How our brains are wired to protect us by paying close, agonising attention to painful sensations. But also how this same protective system can lead to life-altering problems through the development of chronic pain conditions. People suffering from chronic pain have often tried everything they can get their hands on to feel relief. From meditation to medication and everything in between. And as we heard last week, there's a lot to feel hopeful about when it comes to future drug treatments. But chronic pain is a diverse and complex problem, which opens the door for some creative problem solving. So we're sitting at a table and this is the headset.
1: So yes, this is a headset. This
0: is the Oculus Quest 2. Um, I'm going to have to take headphones off to put this on, aren't I? (laughs) I have kind of a big head.
1: You can adjust the straps.
0: Okay, so I'm sitting at a picnic table now and uh, in a a nice sort of forest and it's a blue sky and there's some mountains and it's very peaceful here. And there are my hands.
1: You can move your fingers. Oh my gosh.
0: Yes, I can. Each of them. Cool. That's me, in Zurich, sitting in a large white room one sunny spring day preparing to test out technology that could revolutionize treatment for chronic pain.
1: My name is Jasmine Ho. I am a neuroscientist and a psychologist, and I work with virtual reality to help patients with chronic pain. Pain is a very conscious experience, first of all. There's no pain without you being conscious of it. People will say like, oh, but you know, the the body will still feel pain even if you're under anesthesia. The body has no susception, meaning that the receptors will fire, but your experience of pain always needs to be conscious. So it's unconscious and it's also an embodied experience. And there's different types of pain. So like I said, there's a nociceptive pain, meaning that, you know, let's say you put your hand on a hot plate and it hurts and you pull it back, or also the neuropathic pain if there's a nerve injury for example, diabetic neuropathy or complex regional pain syndrome. And there's also nociplastic pain, meaning that there's a pain that still exists even though you can't find any injury to the tissues. That's a lot of chronic pain conditions as well is when there's changes and also you see those alterations in the brain even though there's no actual tissue damage or clear source of where this pain should be coming from.
0: So that's like you could look at someone's arm, for example, that's hurting them, and you don't see any inflammation, you don't see anything that should say, oh, this is causing me a lot of pain, but for some reason the brain is interpreting it
1: as, ow, I'm in pain. Absolutely. That can happen. It can just hurt and you can't see any visible signs. It can also, however, be that the arm is swollen and red and hot and actually shows all the symptoms of pain, but there's no clear origin of why this should be happening. And do you know what can trigger that sort of condition? Because that sounds really hard to live with. It's very difficult to live with. It can be absolutely disabling, which is why chronic pain is also considered a disease and debilitating condition. Unfortunately, we don't really know that much about all these origins. And also it's so multifactorial there's so many different potential causes. Let's say, for example, complex regional pain syndrome, there's a type that can be caused directly by nerve injury, but there's also a type where there's no direct cause to the nerve. It could be that You had surgery somewhere else and it travels down to your arm. And unfortunately, we're not sure why this happens. And this can be said for a lot of different pain conditions as well. And that's what kind of makes treating it difficult as well. Sometimes we know a cause and the person doesn't respond, but sometimes we just don't know what the actual issue is and how to best target it. What sort
0: of treatments are available now to try and help people who are dealing with chronic pain?
1: So the first and foremost people would usually think of are the opioids, the analgesics, medications. There's different types of therapies as well. So usually physical therapy is done in addition to medication. And of course, then there's some more novel treatments out there, such as, for example, virtual reality where there's different types of approaches, where you can use virtual reality or VR in short to help patients. And personally, I think that using these together is really the way forward in in finding the best treatment approach for each individual patient. So
0: tell me, what actually is virtual reality in this context? Because when I think of it, I think of the sort of masks you see people stick on their heads and they're playing like an arrow shooting game or, I mean, there must be so many different types. How does it actually work?
1: The the visual is the same. You're wearing a head-mounted display or HMD in short. There's different types, you know, different brands. Um, but what makes... Immersive virtual reality, which is the one we're working with, so special is that it increases the sense of presence. So you're actually feeling as if you're present in this environment. You actually feel like you're in this virtual world. And that's the basis of why it's, one, kind of interesting and fun for gaming, because it takes it to another level. But for therapeutic purposes, it actually holds significant relevance as well, because we use that sense of presence to really amplify the therapeutic value.
0: So if you had a patient who's suffering with chronic pain, how might virtual
1: reality help? So there's different types of VR therapies. The, I'd say, majority out there as of now use VR distraction. So that can be very effective. Let's say you are in pain and you put on a headset and you can play a game in this virtual environment Uh, You can go underwater and swim with dolphins, whatever you like. That's a nice thing about VR. You can create any sort of environment, and it distracts patients from the pain. And so much so in, for example, burnt patients, there were children, they had to change bandages, and that's usually a very painful process. But when they were playing this snow world game, which is not by chance, they wanted to use a cooling environment, They were so distracted with the virtual environment that they didn't even feel that the bandages had already been changed. So it's it's a strong distractor. It can also be used to basically relax the patients. So... Again, underwater world, breathing exercises, together with some very relaxing music can just calm patients down. That alone can also be effective in reducing pain. The type of patients that we are mainly working with right now are patients with so-called body perception disturbances. So that usually means that the way that they perceive their example, painful arm, it could be a leg or whatever, is distorted. So it could be perceived as enlarged or twisted or swollen or red. And you can sometimes even see these color changes in the arm. And sometimes the pain is so strong that they would even want to amputate their arm. They almost have a disownership that they feel like the arm is no longer theirs. And we then put them in this virtual avatar and we try to counteract these body perception disturbances that they experience using these so-called visual bodily illusions, meaning, again, we can lengthen the arm, we can stretch it, we can shrink it, we can change the color, we can make it transparent. We have these different types of so-called bodily illusions that try to retrain how the brain perceives that painful body part. And what have you seen so far? So we're doing a clinical study right now. We're still testing we have had a few examples that have just been very fascinating so for for some that have experienced this amputation desire and this disownership within seconds i mean under a minute they suddenly feel like the arm is their own again and they'll say wow this it feels like my own arm again wow or that they feel like they have a better range of motion. You know, They say like, wow, I can move the hand better again. We had one patient, this was interesting. So we have different types of bodily illusions. And one of the illusions they can choose from freely is a blue, so the arm turns blue, which we hypothesize might have a cooling effect for hot arms. This patient chose blue arm uh, because they just said that they feel like it just feels right for whatever reason. <laughs> And they come in for four sessions over two weeks, and by the next session, that patient said, you know, every time I was at home and I looked at my arm, I perceived it as blue and I started using it more and working more with it at home, moving it more, which is great for therapy as well. And they could easily just create a a blue glove that they started wearing at home and lo and behold, started moving the arm more, and that's how the pain actually got better for this person. And in another example, uh, this was our greatest success story so far, I'd say this patient had to wear a splint 24 hours a day, couldn't work. And within the four sessions across two weeks, the pain had completely been eliminated, didn't have to wear the splint anymore. And they said that they could actually go back to work and that we had changed their life. And that, of course, is the best compliment and absolute happiness that being said it's not again a one size fits all sometimes they may not feel a change in their pain but they feel like the body part is reintegrated into their overall body schema and body image and that's already a first success it's just absolutely amazing it goes to show
0: actually how much our brains are, this is going to sound ridiculous, how much our brains are in charge of how we are experiencing the world. So we decided it was time to see how my brain and body responds to some of the VR illusions Jasmine has been working
1: with. So we're first going to do a stretching illusion. So you're going to see that your right arm and hand are going to stretch forward.
0: So my right hand is is growing. It actually it looks like if you had like a gloves for working in a lab and you filled it with water and stretched it out. Ooh, it, like being a witch <laughs> with long fingers and a long arm and a, I can like it looks like I can almost reach the other side of the table. And that might be a nice illusion for someone who feels very tight perhaps because it's like the muscles are being stretched out.
1: It can be used for example for patients with osteoarthritis. Um, they found a lot of effective like, success with this stretching illusion and enhancing their mobility. For others, though, that's the interesting thing with our patients is that even if they have the same pain condition, they tend to choose a very different type of illusion. So it's really individualized would help somebody and not another person.
0: It's funny, though, because after the illusion finished, my hands now look really small. Like, like I knew I had stubby fingers, but (laughs) now they seem especially stubby. How long would someone need to sort of have this on in order to have a different feeling?
1: You know, some studies have shown that even an illusion lasting only two minutes can already have an effect. Mm. For our study, we've put them in for about 12 minutes Mm -hmm. for four sessions.
0: But 12 minutes is still so short. I mean, it's not like a... I mean if you have to have therapy for example that's like an hour you know th- there are so many things that take so much longer
1: oh absolutely to have a result yeah no and you, you can feel that this body ownership and the agency comes almost instantaneously
0: yeah
1: and so the effects actually start happening like the, it works on your brain almost instantaneously mm. as well the question for chronic pain patients is the effects on the actual pain how long will that take? We have patients who feel uh, effects again within seconds to minutes and others that even after four sessions, they don't really feel a discernible, clear effect yet. Maybe they would need more time. Maybe they're just non-responders. These are all some of these yeah. open questions that still remain to be answered. So now we're going to do a color change to blue. Ooh! Wow, it's
0: like the real avatar um. <laughs> um. And my whole arm is completely blue and hand.
1: Nice. So this illusion, we hypothesized, might be nice for those patients who feel like their arm is red and hot and swollen, that this might have a cooling effect. Mm. But others who didn't have those symptoms actually chose this blue color just because for some reason it felt right to them.
0: Yeah. So... What might be happening in the brains of chronic pain patients when they're
1: using the VR illusions? It's still a question that we would need to examine. I also have to say that we don't have any neuroimaging data yet, so we can't say for sure what's happening in the brain in terms of our application. What previous VR studies have shown is that this embodiment of a virtual avatar does trigger activation in these body-related areas in the brain. So that does seem to be one of the bases. And this is just a hypothesis, but we believe that it's possible that these patients with chronic pain are somehow stuck in this aberrant, painful body, and it's difficult for them to retrain their own brain how to perceive this body in a, in a more healthy way. And the, the way that the brain integrates information as it takes in the visual information, what you touch, what you see, the where your body is, and it integrates that with this so-called top-down information from the brain, you know, your yourself, who am I, previous experiences. And what we're manipulating with VR are these bottom-up multi-sensory integration modalities. And usually the brain integrates these, but in chronic pain patients, we believe that possibly they're just stuck in this integration where they're not integrating it correctly anymore. But with the VR aspect, with this avatar, we're creating a surprise mode. And the way that the brain integrates surprise is different. It's like people's like, whoa, whoa, what is, what is this? What is happening here? And it's almost, it, it places the brain in a slightly more unstable state where it needs to pay more attention and integrate it differently. So that's what we think might be happening with the VR. So it's almost like people are
0: they're stuck in a cycle of interpreting feedback in a certain way. And by creating a big enough surprise to the brain, the brain is going to think, oh boy, something strange is happening. I better think carefully about what is actually happening to my arm. So you're breaking
1: that cycle. Exactly. We're breaking the cycle and we're, we're basically telling the brain, hey, hey, pay attention. Let's, let's integrate this information in a different way because the way you've been doing it so far hasn't been working, has it?
0: Yeah, and I guess the brain loves novelty. That's one of the things that's come up previously on this series, which is that the brain is all about trying to be efficient. So if it doesn't need to pay attention to something, then it's gonna tune it out. We do that with our senses all the time but here you're you're trying to create enough novelty that you make it pay attention.
1: Absolutely, yes. In so-called neuroeconomic studies, introducing surprise releases dopamine as well in the brain. So it's just, again, it activates it, it wakes it up and tells it to pay attention. (laughs) But
0: beyond being used for pain, Jasmine's seen VR help people with a very rare and
1: unusual problem also. During my PhD, I worked with body integrity dysphoria. Mm. There are patients who want to amputate a perfectly healthy limb. So they have no pain. It's just the way that they perceive their body is, let's say, uh, without my left leg, you know, starting from right here above the knee. And it's very persistent. And so we put them in VR as well and kind of match their amputation. And it was quite a an experience for them. And that prevalence... Too is, is hard to say because they were very secretive. It wasn't like an officially recognized disorder until just very recently. But estimates, I don't know how accurate these are, one-ish percent. Mm. But it usually starts in childhood when they have this aha moment and then it's consistent. Their body doesn't match up with how they perceive themselves. And ethically, it's a very gray area, right? Um, but the ones that have been able to amputate their limbs have usually done it somewhere abroad. Um, and despite having, you know, the post-amputation pain, or phantom limb pain, or whatever, they're very happy with their decision. And then it's not just amputation; others desire to be blind, or incontinent, or paraplegic. Amputation and paraplegia are the two most common variants. Every one person wrote me who wanted to be tetraplegic, you know, from from the neck down. Which, yeah. Wow. But they came into VR and then they would say it's like, this is hands down one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life to just able to experience their body as desired. And then we did a follow-up and like most of them, even three months later, still had improved mood at least from that one experience. Thanks so
0: much to Jasmine Ho for speaking to me for this episode. Join us in two weeks time where we'll be exploring the neuroscience of parenthood. I'm Eva Higginbotham, and this is How We're Wired. How We're Wired is a Fresh Air production for the Bertarelli Foundation. It's produced by me, Eva Higginbotham. Follow now for free so you never miss an episode.